where we discuss and create a space to heal from religious trauma. Hey friends, welcome back to Short Skirts and Long Scripture. I'm Cass. I'm Hannah. What are we talking about today? We are talking about the sexist double standards within the group that we came from and the church that we grew up in. Things that we grew up thinking were true about us as girls and the and thinking about the guys, what we were allowed to do, what we were actually told. What were some of the roles, I guess, we'll start with the church, um, that were kind of defined by this is a man's job and this is a woman's job. I remember specifically that men preach. Mm-hmm. They share the lessons. They share the talk topics. And women are to be silent. There's a scripture that they would quote to us that was taken out of context about women talking in church and how they interpreted it to mean that women shouldn't be talking in church, meaning they're not supposed to preach teaching in church, even if they're not the preacher. Or opinion or viewpoint on anything that's being talked about either. Right. Yes. We don't have an open place for any kind of discussion or added input for women in a church setting. Mm -hmm. Unless it is solely a women's group. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're not allowed to participate in a discussion, you just create your own group Mm -hmm. in which to discuss things. Because it's not that women don't have opinions about God and the Bible and teachings that were given. It's just that you really shouldn't share them unless it's in your personal women's Bible study. Right. Yeah, so that's one of the areas that was definitely defined more as like a women's role, I suppose, in the church was you're to be kind of seen and not heard. I mean, there were women that used to share their opinions, but I feel like Mm -hmm. there was a lot of like side eyes and glancing and kind of like, why is she talking happening when somebody would speak up? One of the roles Mm -hmm. in church that was perfectly okay, of course, for women to be kind of the head role model was Sunday school. Granted, if it wasn't a mom doing Sunday school, it was one of us kids because we were older and that's just how the hierarchy went. It was, I guess, required, you know, the women raise the children so they need to teach Sunday school too. I remember always being expected to volunteer to teach Sunday school when I was growing up in this group. Mm -hmm. It was just expected that, well, you're an older girl, so you're going to work with kids. Yeah. You're a woman, so you're going to do Sunday school for the children. That's where your place is. That's what you do. Yeah. You should be able to participate in worship or you should be able to teach Sunday school if you're a girl. Right. If you're a boy, you should be able to carry chairs or teach the sermon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of worship, too, that's a you have an opinion on that or remember stuff that I don't. Was there any kind of double standards between guys and girls when it came to worship groups, whether it be in the youth group or in the church? I remember, unless you had been established as a guy that sang, girls sing. Mm -hmm. 
the worship leader was often a guy and there was certain instruments that were more common for girls to play and more common for guys to play mm -hmm. but yeah usually worship leaders i remember would be guys unless it was a couple then they could do it together true and and women were expected to be able to play an instrument or sing yeah <laughs> which was not great for me because i don't do any of the things right yeah <laughs> and if you didn't do either then oh so sad for you <laughs> within the church sphere it was expected that men were in charge of things, but women were also in charge of potlucks. True. Because women are also supposed to be in the kitchen more than men. Mm -hmm. So if there's food brought, mom brings it. If you're an older girl, you participate in some way. You bring food. No, we were always bringing food. That was like one of the categories of becoming a full-fledged female. Um, You had to be able to feed the masses at these events like it if you didn't they're like what's wrong with you no one's gonna want to marry you you can't make food what do you mean you can't cook <laughs> yeah what do you mean you can't cook granted i love cooking mm -hmm. cooking and baking is like one of my favorite things to do i'm just remembering when we were in the group it was expected that if you were a girl you were able to cook and you were able to bring food and participate yeah. in that sphere because it's the kitchen the home is your sphere right and let me say, we did get some great joy and pride in ourselves, I suppose, oh, when yeah. we did make desserts and bring them and all the guys were flocking around whatever bowl oh, yeah. we possibly had <laughs> with food in it. I did feel very good about myself <laughs> cooking-wise. Absolutely. I'm like, yes, they all want what's in the bowl. Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have succeeded in my role as a woman <laughs> providing sustenance. My muddy buddies bring all the boys to the yard. <laughs> <laughs> True. They bring everyone to the yard, but yes, they do bring the guys. Yes. <laughs> That's true. So speaking of us providing food, one capacity that we would more often provide is, is in youth group. We would bring snacks for our small groups. Mm -hmm. I swear at holiday times, there would be somebody, some dude that was like, I'm going to press everyone that I can make sugar cookies, which was really cute and really sweet of them. But for the most part, I would definitely say the girls would bring snacks because mm -hmm. we're our role is in the home. The guys are too busy working because their sphere is in the career path. So the girls bring the snacks. We were very good at snacks. We were top tier snack people. I mean, besides that kind of being one of the main roles of guys versus girls, I guess, what were some of the other gendered roles that we had? The leaders of the small groups within this youth group. Almost always, there's a male and female leader for the small group so that when you break up into guys and girls, there's somebody for them. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to be on the same level of power, authority, <laughs> whatever it is. But I would say I remember the guys were always in charge. Mm -hmm. The girls would always default if the guys needed to say something. Yeah. We believed that men are supposed to be in charge of all the godly stuff. Right. So women default to them. Unless the girls were part of like the leadership's children, mm -hmm. then they might have more authority and more power. Which they did. 100%. Mm -hmm. Whether people thought so or not, there was definitely kind of that weird hierarchy of well we're pastors kids so we have a little bit more leeway and what yeah. we can do what we can say what we tell other people really anything and if you were 
a male inside this group, it was even worse, I feel. If you're a teenager and you're put in charge of something, yes, it teaches you responsibility. But when you're also at the same time being fed, like we've said before, you're better than everyone. Mm -hmm. Because you are a godly Christian boy, you are at the top of the food chain. There was a little bit of um, egotistical mindsets happening it was kind of interesting too because when we would do the small group leaders trainings there was also the stereotypes there too and the hierarchy of hmm. these kids are more important or of being small group leaders than this group kind of thing so there was again which a is such a weird click and a gendered stereotype there too that all these guys are going to be leading and you girls will be lucky enough to be paired up with one of them to lead small groups for the year so you know yeah. Let's talk about roles of men and women we talked about in the church, we talked about in our youth group. Mm -hmm. What about in and or outside of the home? Ooh. What were the roles that we remember being taught? Women's roles within the household and what girls were kind of fed from a young age um, was that you're going to be such a good wife and mom someday. Here's all the skills you need to know to in order to do that job well. Because that was going to be our only job. If you have other interests, great. But don't count on those being anything but hobbies. So the roles of moms, like our parents, within yeah. the home was to stay home. Raise the children in a godly manner because that is your role as a wife and mother. Moms are there to keep the house clean, raise the kids. Is it okay to be a good wife and mom and to learn skills? Absolutely. Where is our issue with this? Our issue with this is that it is almost expected to be the only option that you are going to default to as soon as you get married. Or right, not even exactly. before you get married. It's supposed to be in your mind before you get married so that once you're married, you know exactly what your role is. They – Exactly. The fundamentalist group really retain – their thoughts and their people by having these ideas and ways of how things are laid out and people's roles ingrained very early into boys and girls mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't change so that it keeps going mm -hmm. in this same pattern until time ends kind of thing so what were the roles of the men then right so i remember seeing the men being encouraged to be a strong provider and protector for the family. Mm -hmm. You needed to provide for their spiritual needs. So you needed to be well-versed in scripture. Right. Women were expected to be well-versed in scripture, but it was just for your own personal growth. It wasn't because you were allowed to or encouraged to interact with anyone mm -hmm. in scripture. So guys were heavily encouraged to be knowledgeable in the scriptures so you can maintain a godly relationship in your family mm -hmm. guys are also heavily encouraged to pick a career that will be good for providing for their family mm -hmm. and be in charge of everything and always know how to find the right answer but i also f i mean okay not saying that either stereotype gendered role in this group was not difficult because it was. Right. There was a lot put on both plates. But I do feel that the guys got off a little bit easy. Yes, they had to have a job that was going to be able to provide for this family. You know, they were supposed to be the spiritual head of the household and be able to mm -hmm. guide 
um, the family, you know, towards godly ways or whatever it was. But beyond bringing home a paycheck and having the answers to all your biblical wanna knows, mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of where their roles ended. The guy's mm-hmm. role is outside, anything outside of the house. If it was inside the house, that was all the woman's job. I feel like it kind of yeah. gave them a pass. We had our lanes that we were supposed to be in as guys and girls. We were taught from a very early age what our lane was and how to stay in it and the skills we would need to be successful in that lane. Mm-hmm. And I do want to reiterate again, this was not every family. There are exceptions to every rule. Did we see this a few times? Absolutely. Did it happen in every household? No, it did not. Mm -hmm. Did it happen in every household that we saw as kids were growing up and getting married? No, because times change, people Mm -hmm. change. I do remember a couple times where men or women would step outside of their lane that they were supposed to be in. Um, for example, we had an English teacher, mm-hmm. our favorite teacher Love in the her. universe. Adore her. She had a job outside of her home. This was a very rare ex- exception that I remember seeing mm-hmm. is that this mom had a job outside of her home and it was our favorite teacher ever. Yeah. But <laughs> I yeah. don't know if you had any more to say about that. No, actually <laughs> I do because I just remembered something that – definitely makes her an exception to the rule and her husband was super supportive about this and smartest woman I know I I love her so much um (laughs) same (laughs) she is also a woman within this group who went to seminary school and got a degree in theology and something else I don't remember which I think she said to years and years and years ago that she was the only female going through these courses interesting with a bunch of men so she kind of definitely kind of broke that mold and stepped outside of that box um to be able to do this and i mean she was just full of fascinating things i could listen to her forever i don't think i've ever shared with someone but that teacher is the reason that i realized i wanted to go to college Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm And I didn't want to necessarily go to a Bible college. I wanted to go to like a secular academic learning college. Yes. Because I thought that lady is the most intelligent woman I've ever encountered. I will never be able to reach her level, but I know now that I'm allowed to try. I hope she encouraged a lot of girls to be like, hey, Mm -hmm. you can go to college. There's more options. Such an inspiration, this woman. Ah. So she was an exception to the rule for sure. Mm -hmm. My perspective is different because I didn't interact with the parents a lot. I only interacted with the kids. Right. But I do know that working moms were almost on a lower tier than the stay-at-home moms. Mm -hmm. In the way that they were treated, the circles that they were invited to be a part of, the cliques that they were involved in i mean i almost kind of remember those moms that did work outside of the home and most of these moms also chose to send their kids to public school which nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with that you do you i see the benefits for both just all what your family needs those moms kind of formed their own clique kind of because they were kind of ousted from like the higher tier moms there was definitely a, a difference in groups were they cordial to each other Yes, where they also kind of looked at differently and maybe treated a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Also, yes. So again, you're given a lane that you're supposed to be in. And even if you weren't raised with this theology and way of life, 
once you're in this Christian community that we were a part of, if you didn't fit the lane that you were supposed to be in, it was weird for you and maybe you were treated differently or looked down on. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of different ways that there were sexist stereotypes within this group. Okay, let's talk about some of the things that were expected of you as a guy or a girl related to skills and behavior. If you were a good Christian girl in this youth program when Cass and I were attending, you should be able to have a musical talent of some kind. Should. You should be able to work with children. Mm -hmm. You should be able to work in a kitchen and help out. Mm -hmm. You should anticipate things before it happens so you know where to fix it or how to accomplish it. You should have all kinds of skills related to keeping your hands busy like embroidery and... All of the little knickknacky shit. Are you- all of the things that are decorative so that you can decorate your home. Keeping all the house the tidy. Tidying skills. Yeah. As a woman, you should have all of the skills required to run a household. Mm-hmm. You have all of the skills of being creative and artsy and decorative and hospitality. Listen, you had to be a well-accomplished Regency woman. So on top of being taught about the Proverbs 31 woman, which is in scripture, there's a list of qualifications that a woman gave to her son Mm -hmm. in the book of Proverbs saying, look for a wife with these qualities. We were taught this is the pinnacle of what a godly Christian wife looks like. On top of that, we need to be well-accomplished Regency women, which we say it like it's a joke. But honestly, if you look at the list of skills that was expected us to try or most girls were actually able to do, Mm -hmm. it feels like you're a Regency woman. The more skills you have in creativeness and hospitality circles, the more desirable you are and the more of a catch you'll be when you become a wife. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned this a little bit in the beginning, umbrella theory. Would you explain the umbrella of authority for maybe those of our listeners who have never heard this concept before? So the concept of an umbrella of authority refers to the hierarchy of where your place in a household is. I didn't know this until later, at least. The umbrella of authority came from, as we mentioned this before, the Bill Gothard cult. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of resources regarding what's wrong with the Bill Gothard cult. Yeah, This principle came from them, and it is the idea that we have a metaphorical umbrella that is God. Below that, we have a smaller umbrella that is a husband or a father. Mm -hmm. Below that, we have another umbrella that is the wife or the mother. Mm -hmm. And then below that is the children. Yeah. So this is the preferred hierarchy for how how everyone in a household should see their role. How much power they have, how much influence they have, where they are expected to stay. Yeah. This hierarchy was very, very seriously taken within most households. If you were being a regular teenager and pushing some boundaries and seeing where you could get, you were told that you were falling outside of that umbrella of protection. And if something happens to you, it was because you fell outside of this umbrella of protection 
because you disobeyed your parents and what they told you to do. So yeah, it really went beyond mm -hmm. just having your roles in the household. It was used as a almost as a weapon if you disobeyed your parents or you had right. a different perspective than your parents. Mm -hmm. You were told, if you disagree with me or you have a different perspective, you're stepping out from this umbrella and God will not protect you. Mm -hmm. It was very much kind of used as a fear tactic. Here's the thing. It wasn't just the household that had this hierarchy kind of figure of the umbrellas. It was also the church. It was also the youth group and leadership, you know, God, leadership, parents, kids, God, like the deacons, the pastor, whatever, the disciples or the followers. And then we're always at the bottom as children. It was everywhere. One of my personal problems with this idea, you can share your thoughts on this. One of the problems that I have with the umbrella of authority model is that it, first of all, it creates an extremely patriarchal view of where men and women and children are supposed to be in the world mm -hmm. that is not from scripture. Yeah. Scripture doesn't give us an umbrella of authority. Scripture gives us God is the authority. Mm -hmm. And all of your roles are different. They're not in a hierarchy. Right. They're just different roles. So that's one of my problems with the umbrella of authority model is that it's not in scripture that this is how we should view the world in ourselves. Mm -hmm. This is how Bill Gothard says we should view the world in ourselves. Yeah, it was definitely a man-made construct. And everyone took it to mean that was, you know, it was law. We're going to kind of make it to be that way because we think it's a really good concept to be implementing in our houses and our church communities and everything else. I had a problem with this just because I was a very pushy child against um authority figures <laughs> because i had questions and because i didn't like people telling me what to do so i got this one thrown in my face a lot when i was part of this fundamentalist community i was a great kid i was painfully shy i had extreme social anxiety which caused me to never speak up never go against anyone never ask questions mm -hmm. never <laughs> back talk mm -hmm. <laughs> I was a great model citizen, okay? <laughs> That's not the toot my own horn. That's to just to tell you that the very minimal, maybe even only one time that I can specifically remember, that I questioned a decision made by, I'll use the example of when I questioned a decision for my life that was made by my parents. Mm -hmm. And I was told, you're stepping out from the umbrella of authority. And if you do not do what we tell you to do, you are going to be in trouble with God and it's going to be bad for you. Oh boy. There's also been several times in my walk with God where I tried to talk about something that God was talking to me about to my parents. And I was told, Told, well, that's not what God told me. So um, you're wrong because you don't have that level of authority. You're under us. Right. Yeah. That's not really scripturally how God talks to people. Mm -mm. Is it okay to come to your parents for advice and to have their opinion on something? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Is it okay to tell your children because you think you're above them in some way mm -hmm. that their spiritual walk has to be the same as yours? Yeah. That's where I have a problem. So the umbrella of authority model is not something that I look at fondly from my time in yeah. this Christian guilt. 
Listen, Hannah and I were so different in regards to how we dealt with authority figures, our parents growing up as teenagers in this group, everything else that my parents specifically told me a few times, why can't you be more like Hannah? <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. Okay, this leads me to talk about what we were taught for appropriate parent-child relationships mm. is that children are supposed to be... Seen and not heard. <laughs> seen and not heard, more or less. We were taught that children should have unquestioning obedience to whatever decision the parents make. Yeah. Because the parents are the umbrella above you. Yep. So if you follow what they tell you to do, Your you will be protected will be and good. God will honor that. Yep. This is different than just being a disobedient kid. This is so, so many steps further than just obeying your parents mm -hmm. this is you have unquestioning obedience whatever your parents tell you is the direction of your life you need to follow that guidance yeah because they're the umbrella protecting you and this entire idea goes right back to an episode that we recorded a week or two ago about boundaries the fact that we did not really have any nor did we know that we were allowed to because in this group, if it wasn't discussed, it didn't exist, which was a dangerous concept in many different ways. I think that's another thing. That one of the pieces of trauma that we're processing from being in this group is we had to learn how to create boundaries and that we were allowed to have them. And that's been, for some of us, a slow, painful process of figuring that mm -hmm. out. Let's talk about some sexist standards relating to... Dating, courting, marriage. Mm. So what was the preferred method in this group? For being in a relationship, it would definitely be courting. And heavily encouraged to participate in courting. Can you... Dating was seen as something that secular people did. Uh -huh. Dating is where you meet up with someone, you decide if you want to start or be in a relationship with them without your parents previous knowledge courting involves the whole family more or less in this group that we were part of it was almost like the families decided for you if you would be a good match mm -hmm. and then saw if there was interest between the kids and then you would start doing family activities together sometimes if the whole families weren't there, you would definitely have at least a sibling from one of the other person. Mm -hmm. You're never alone. No. You never have alone time because that could lead to sin, sin or something. <laughs> you want to talk about some of the roles within this courting scenario that men and women played? So the guy's whole role in this courting mindset was, ah, I'm finally to an age where I might be interested in a wife. Think seven brides for seven brothers. He just walks into the shop. I'm looking for a wife. Yeah. <laughs> like, we just got to that point. They turned 18. Like, we're ready to go. Come on. <laughs> Their job is to do the pursuing, the wooing, or whatever you want to call it. So they're the ones that get to have the initial interest first. The girl's role is just to be grateful, I suppose, that someone was fascinated enough with them to ask to court them. If a girl was interested in a boy and she wanted to initiate courtship, she was seen as promiscuous and a little bit or of a something. flamboyant flirt. Yes. Like you were going <laughs> looking for things in the wrong way. I'm like, then how else are we supposed to do this? 
again, the man's role is to initiate, to do the pursuing. Mm -hmm. The woman's role is to allow herself to be courted. Yes. This leads me to our next point that getting past the courting stage and getting to marriage is so important for the women because her worth is tied to her ability to become married and to be a good wife. Mm -hmm. You get to basically move on to a whole different realm. You're upgraded, essentially, once you get married. You become way more important than any other girls your age that are not married yet. So this gave us a feeling that our worth would be tied not only, as we talked about before, our worth is in our ability to be modest and pure and chaste and childlike, but we will have more worth once we get married. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of hoopla like surrounding that whole process too. The moms make a huge big deal out of it and make you feel super important and everything, which it is important, but it's... I don't know, it's different that you're going to be different now because you're married, because your roles are going to change and you have to step into this whole new kind of set of shoes, I suppose. So I do remember that unmarried girls were treated like sweet, wonderful angel babies Mm -hmm. and married women now were on a higher pedestal. You have more value. You have more opportunities. You have more authority in the household sphere. You are invited to things now that you're a mom or a wife, wife. (laughs) even if you're the same age as everyone else in your peer group, Mm -hmm. you're more special now because you're married. Mm -hmm. Not in every situation, but in some situations, I would see that the married daughters received special treatment and the single daughters just stayed on the same level definitely i think so so hannah and i were talking before we started recording this there's the whole trend going around on tiktok and um some other social media platforms so right now this is the fall of 2023 there's a trend going around where people are being asking their husbands their boyfriends the men in their lives How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Mm -hmm. And it's always some outrageous common number, like constantly, every day, every other day, at least twice a week. Yeah. Like way more than you would think is necessary. Yeah. So we were thinking about this concept. So now female version of this, what would it be? What's something that you think about? Every day, every other day, every (laughs) week. And because of how we grew up and how we were raised Mm -hmm. in this Christian community, Cass, would you like to share your Roman Empire? Okay, listen, my Roman Empire is thinking about um, the works of Jane Austen. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Mostly Pride and Prejudice. How often do you think about the Regency era? (laughs) The Regency era. This is a great question, and I completely understand why this is your Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Because please explain for why. Some reason, <laughs> for some reason, when we were in this youth group, every girl around us was in love with the Regency period. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be that Regency girl. Yes. Like, maybe it had to do with all the skills we needed and what was expected of yeah. you as a perfect person. But we were really into it. I personally did not enjoy it as some of the people around me, such as Cass, but we had 
Regency watching parties and tea parties where we would yes you get together with the other girls in your puree group and you watch a Jane Austen film and you have a tea party so it was sandwiches like full-on thing that yeah like somebody would make little tiny sandwiches and tea we would usually all have our own homemade costumes either borrowed from right. someone or that we made specifically it was a whole thing, but it went beyond just us because I remember the moms having their own Regency parties. So That's I don't true. know where this concept so came from, but it was like rampant through our group. But <laughs> I was thinking about it and we were talking about it too. We have two Roman Empire models. Yep. We have the Regency period. And then what's the other one that we think about often? <laughs> the other one, because we were raised with it. Um, was the Laura Ingalls Wilder series, Little yeah. House on the Prairie. Mm -hmm. There's a TV show that we watched. There's a book series that we watched. We learned about Laura Ingalls Wilder. Yeah. I don't know if that was just really big at the homeschool community at that time in the 90s and the early 2000s. <laughs> Listen, I think it was bigger for us where we lived because we lived in Oregon. Right? And the Oregon Trail yeah. was just right in our backyard. So why not? Like, we had month-long <laughs> studies on doing literacy studies on Laura Ingalls Wilder and the Oregon Trail and everything else. Plus, some of us lived on little homesteads or on a farm. And so we were like, let's add these skills to our repertoire. I had rabbits. Exactly. Hannah and I tanned hides one time in my backyard. Okay. See our first episode on how that went. We hung laundry because we were being pioneery. <laughs> it was a whole thing. Okay. It was like ingrained in our everyday life. <laughs> Laura Ingalls Wilder or the Regency period was like the pinnacle of womanhood. Mm -hmm. If you could fit into one of those models, you were doing well. Your parents were proud. So to finish, what was your Roman Empire listener? What, what do you think about all the time? <laughs> also, we would love to hear your story. Anyone that's listening. If you, if you want to share your version or your perspective of anything that we've shared, mm -hmm. any experience that you've had in a religious community growing up, any religious trauma that you would like to talk through, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at shortskirtsandscripture at gmail.com. <laughs> or you can write to us on our website, um, shortskirtslongscripture.com. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. Circle your wagons, friends. <laughs> okay. Part of the club, always in the club. <laughs> part of the crew, part of the ship. <laughs>